Dear God, thank you for who you are. Thank you um, for the simple things that we can just be here to worship your name in spirit and in truth and to dig into your word and find out what it says. And I pray that you would apply it to our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. So Psalm 51, it was written by King David. I think we all know who King David was. If you don't, we'll go over it real, real quick. Okay, and many of us know this story. King David was a shepherd boy. He was from a small town called Bethlehem. He came from nothing. And this little shepherd boy ended up killing a Goliath and saving the whole nation of Israel. The king took him in, and he played the harp and the lyre for King Saul so that evil spirits would leave him. In fact, he was anointed by God at the age of 16 and spent 15 years on the run trying to not be killed by the same king that he was helping. Eventually, he became king, and, and God said to King David, you are a man after my own heart. But the same man... King David, he wasn't perfect. David would go on and he killed one of his loyal soldiers after stealing that man's wife. 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven says that after the time of mourning was over, David brought her to his house. She became his wife and bore him a son. But the thing David had done displeased the Lord. The Christian Standard Version says that the Lord saw it as evil. So how do we rectify that? How do we rectify a man that God said, he is after my own heart, but he would do something like this? We obviously see this as, you know, adultery and murder. We look at that and we say, that's evil. Obviously, that's wrong. In fact, most of us here, right? We're not going to just go out and murder somebody, especially somebody that likes us, right? We can't even imagine what that would be like. So how do we look at this and say, he's after his own heart, God's own heart, but he would do this? So if we read a little farther in 2 Samuel chapter 12, it says that, then Nathan said to David, you are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel says. I anointed you king over Israel and I delivered you from the hand of Saul. I gave you your master's house to you and your master's wives into your arms. I gave you all Israel and Judah. And if all this had been too little, I would have given you even more. Why did you despise the Lord, the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? You struck down Uriah the Hittite with the sword and took his wife to be your own. You killed him with the sword of the Ammonites. God always reveals our sin to us. Let's, let's read that next verse. And then David said to Nathan, I have sinned against the Lord. And Nathan replied, the Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. The Lord always reveals our sin to us. You know, we may not be committing murder. We may not be committing adultery, but in God's eyes, all sin is equal. It's got the same punishment. And God always shows it to us. And we have to decide what we're going to do with it. He shows us through the Holy Spirit. If you're a Christian, you've got that. It convicts you. He shows us our sin through our circumstances. 
to point it out to us, and he will put people in your lives, people of wisdom, who will point it out to you when you can't see it yourself. God is not going to just let you off the hook. And we have to decide, okay, if God is going to show this to us, how are we going to respond to that? And David here is a great example And I believe this is one of the many reasons why God said this is a man after my own heart. David lived a life of repentance. He wasn't perfect, but when God showed him what was wrong, David fixed it. He acknowledged that he was wrong. And repentance is just Christianese for admitting to God and to yourself that the way you have been living is wrong and not just admitting it, but making a complete 180 degree turn. You go the other direction. You don't just slightly make a change. Your life changes 100%. Repentance. And so God sent Nathan to show David that what he had done was evil and wrong when David could not see it himself and to show David how it distanced him from God. So Romans 3.23 And I'm sure a lot of us have this memorized, but it just says, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Like I said, all sin is the same to God, and it's punishable by eternal death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. That fact alone should alert us to the fact that we can't save ourselves. There's a lot of people in our culture, in our world, who think that doing good things is all it takes to get to heaven, to be a good person. But the Bible says that's not the case. We can't do it by ourselves. The only one who could was Jesus. It also, the fact that we can't save ourselves should not be used as an excuse to keep sinning and to take advantage of God's grace. Romans 6 says that what shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We are those who have died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And if you go on, verse 15 says, What then shall sin? Shall we sin because we are not under the law, but under grace? By no means. Living a life of repentance. David's reaction to Nathan was complete and total honesty what he had done he didn't try to justify his actions he didn't try and give God excuses he took responsibility because God was his number one priority and he lost sight of that for a second but when God revealed that to him he changed he actually changed if you keep reading his story you see that David did turn his life around And it honored God. And he accepted the circumstances as they came. Because when we sin, even though God forgives us, there will be circumstances. There will be consequences. But we still have to give it back to God. We still have to live that life of repentance. And so, how do we respond when God shows us our wrongdoing? This is what David did, but how do we respond? I'm here to say this morning that True repentance leads to authentic worship. And I would even say that insincerity to God results in self-worship. 
you're putting yourself above God. Saying what pleases me, what makes me feel good, is more important. So Psalm 51 is David's prayer to God after Nathan left him. David had some time to think about it and came before God. And so we're going to look at that this morning as our model. This is how he approached God. And we can learn a great deal about how we should deal with sin, with how David dealt with it. So the first five verses says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you were right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. So first, we've got to recognize that God is above us. He's above us as our creator, our sustainer. He gives us life. He's above us as our Savior. Not only did he give us physical life, but spiritual life. And as our king. And we follow our king. And then David goes on and he recognizes God's grace. His faithful love, his abundant compassion. He did not have to do what he did. He could have left us in our darkness, but he chose not to because he loves us. So we have to, number one, approach God with humility. Put God in the place that he deserves in your life, and that's up top. First priority. No excuses. That's what he deserves. And then in the third verse of Psalm 51, David admitted honestly to his sin. He says, I know my transgressions. My sin is always before me. No excuses. He took responsibility for what he did. Put God in his rightful place and recognize where you are in his story. And then number two, tell God, God, your way is right. My way is wrong. I wasn't doing it correctly and I'm going to change Verses 6 through 9 says, Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquity. This is hard for us as a culture. We all want to be right all the time, especially people my age. Get in a conversation with them, and they, they want to be the expert on every subject. But I think we're all there. The reality is we all want to be the hero of our own story. And so we shape our worldview around that concept. We're the hero. But the reality is, as Christians, that is against what the Bible says. The Bible says that we were messed up in our sins, left to live in darkness, but Christ came to save us. Christ is the real hero of our story. 
And so when we put Christ in that spot and take ourselves out of it, we realize where we are in our relationship with God. So godly obedience and humility means letting God shape us into the people that he designed us to be in the first place, his people. People of integrity. People who don't hide what they do from God. People who don't people who have accountability with each other as a church. People of wisdom, not people who just know the Bible, which we should, but who take the Bible and actually apply it, actually use it. That's wisdom. He's given this to us for that purpose. And so, admit to God, God, you were right and I wasn't. And then verses 10 through 13 says that, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. Then I will teach transgressors your ways so that sinners will turn back to you. He says here, steadfast. Means firm, unwavering, not following God one day and then doing whatever pleases you the next day, but firm, standing on the rock. David's honest here. He says that he can't sustain himself, he needs God to give him a willing spirit to sustain him. This is an everyday thing. We can't just die to ourselves one day and expect it just to go on. It's got to be every morning saying, God, this is your day. It's not my day. I need you to direct my actions and my words so that they reflect you and not myself. See, the reality is we can't please God by ourselves. We need Jesus and the Holy Spirit to atone for us. We have salvation through Christ. We have guidance from the Holy Spirit as Christians. And when lost people see Christians living a life with an attitude of repentance, when they see that hope in Christ coming from us, they're going to want it because it's authentic. It's not a mask you pull on every day. It is a complete change of who you are. This is what God is doing through your life every day as a Christian. They will want it. Because something is missing that they don't have. Something came up in Sunday school today that kind of reflects this, but when we mess up, front of each other or in front of non-believers, instead of just breezing over it, pretending like it didn't happen and dealing with it later or not dealing with it at all, what if we actually just came right out and said, hey, I shouldn't have done that. I'm so sorry. This did not honor Christ, and I want to honor Christ with my life. That's what David did. David could have just said, thanks, Nathan. You can go now. And then he could have prayed that prayer. But no, he told Nathan, yeah, I sinned. Man, I messed up. 
how often are we that transparent with other people, with each other as a church family? That is how we grow. But we have a tendency to hide things from each other, to make everything seem perfect. We're not in heaven yet. We're not going to be perfect until we get there. But as Christians, as a family, we should be having that attitude of repentance with God, but also with each other. And an attitude of forgiveness when we start course correcting in that direction with each other. We're going to mess up. That means we're going to need forgiveness too. And so number four, if we are following this path of dealing with sin in this way, it will lead to authentic worship. Verses 14 through 17, which we read at the beginning. I'll read it again. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God, you who are God my Savior. And my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. See, when we talk about worship, a lot of the times our default mindset is is music. We come here on Sunday morning, and we sing our music, and that's our worship for the week, and we're done. Or maybe in the car, we turn on Joy FM, and, and there's our worship going to work. And then we're done. But worship is, at least music-wise, is actually a reflection of our life during the week. Worship is your entire life given to Christ Jesus, lived in humility and obedience. There is your worship. Worship is giving Jesus ultimate thanks for saving you when you cannot do it yourself. You know, living this life is not just being about a good person. We can't earn our own way into heaven. Ephesians 2.9, if they have it. We'll come up here in a second. God wants his church 100% devoted to him. So our musical worship here is a reflection of the worship going on in our private lives. It's the conversations we have with other people. It's our thought life. It's our time in the word. It's our time in prayer to God. It's everything. And if there's a moment where something is not pleasing God, that's not, then then you're missing something. Because God wants 100% of who you are. He wants every part of yourself surrendered to him. And when we follow Jesus, when we give our life to Jesus, that's what we're giving back to God is our life. It's not part of our life. It's not a day or two during the week. It's everything. A life of obedience and humility and surrender. Ephesians 2.9 says, Not by works so that no one can boast. We're, we're saved not by what we do, but by who we worship. In living this life of repentance and humility and obedience, there's our worship. And our praise through song on Sundays and Wednesdays and in the car listening to Joy FM, 
That's just a reflection of what's going on in your heart already. Here's the, here's the thing. Well, my last point this morning. You can't worship God without committing your life to Jesus Christ. You can't do it. That's where it starts. You got to put your faith in Jesus first. And and when we say committing to Jesus Christ, that literally 100%, all in. There's no just stepping one foot out of the boat. It's got to be both feet. So God sent Jesus to save us by living a perfect life. He died a horrible death to take our sin with him. And he came back to life. And he said he's coming back. And I know we all know it, but John three sixteen through 18 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. For whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. God gave us Jesus to restore our relationship with him. And our first act in faith is to give repentance. To say, God, I don't have it all right. I've been living this life for myself. And as Christians, we keep doing it. Saying, God, I, I messed up. That's where it starts. To restore that relationship, our creator and his created, he did not come to condemn us. That is not God's thing. God loves us. That's why he gave us a way out. He came to save us from ourselves. So I'm going to come down as our worship team comes back up. We're going to open up the altar. And if you don't know Jesus as your personal Lord and Savior, you know, now's the time. If you've got something else or someone on your mind that you need to pray about, I'll be here. We'll pray and we'll lift up God in our, our worship. Dear Lord, thank you for this time that we have um, had together to to dig into your word. I pray for this time um, at the altar and as we sing that uh, hearts would be opened and changed. In Jesus' name, amen.